You're listening to Climate Update, a podcast brought to you by the Climate Change Institute of the Australian National University. Hello and welcome back to Climate Update. This week, we're discussing recent research by science communication researchers Indigo Strudwick and Dr Will Grant from the Australian National University into a disinformation campaign on social media that occurred during the 2016 US presidential election. During this election, it was found that a very influential disinformation campaign was being run on social media by an organisation that was later found to be associated with the Russian government. Their aim was to destabilise the political environment in America and support the election of Donald Trump. Indigo and Will wanted to see whether science topics were being included in this disinformation campaign. They found that not only were several scientific topics being included, but climate change was one of the most prominent amongst them. So what was the aim of spreading this climate change disinformation? What were the impacts? And generally, how should we handle climate change disinformation on social media? I'm joined by Indy and Will to discuss these questions further. So Will and Indy, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. It's wonderful to be here. Great to be here. So we'll start with a pretty broad question about the research. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were looking into? What, you, what was your aim and what your findings were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess to start off with a bit of general context, uh, during the 2016 US presidential election, um, it was found that there was a considerable um, campaign or influential campaign being conducted by um, an organisation associated with the Russian government. And this was taking place online on social media and, and we were sort of focusing on Twitter. Um, and they really had the sort of overarching aim to destabilise the political environment in America um, and to sort of undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign and promote the election of Donald Trump. So uh, we were sort of um, interested in those tweets from, I, I guess, sort of a social and political perspective. But we also wanted to investigate what kind of impact um, that campaign might be having on science topics and whether there was uh, sort of pseudoscience promotion or, um, or, or sort of bad science about real science topics being promoted through the tweets. Yeah, I think the, the one thing to throw in there as well is that um, we knew there was a big campaign to uh, further Donald Trump's chances and uh, degrade Hillary Clinton's chances. But uh, one of the interesting things that came out afterwards in about 2018 was that there was a huge chunk of anti-vaccination content uh, where it seemed like the, the Russian troll army was really pushing this anti-vaccination line. And I think the thing that um, that was weird for me is okay, is this, why are they doing that? Is this a, an attempt to make people less likely to vaccinate in America or is it maybe some sort of anti-science or pseudo, uh, pushing pseudoscience content here? Uh, so inspiring for me here is um, why, why were the Russians doing this? What, what political motive did it was there uh, to push anti-vaccination content? So the goal in the research was to broaden that net and see what other science topics they were, they were pushing. Yeah, so um, we were quite lucky that there was a, a database of these um, tweets that had been put out by the Russian trolls available online for us to sort of go through and, and a lot of that um, work of sort of accessing and, and categorising the tweets as being from the Russian trolls had already been done, done for us. Um, so we chose some topics. So we looked at um, climate change, uh, vaccination, genetically modified organisms, Ebola, Zika, 
Um, and flat earthism is sort of a, an out there science or not really a science topic, but an out there sort of related science topic. Um, and we delved into the tweets to sort of see um, what, how much they were being um, talked about by the Russian trolls and whether or not that was out of proportion with the conversations happening by normal Twitter, Twitter users. That's really interesting. So I might uh, sort of come back with two questions then. Firstly, why do you think they were spreading the climate change disinformation? What sort of purpose was this serving? And what was the extent of the climate change disinformation? Was it just sort of a few tweets or was it quite an extended campaign? Yeah, so I guess um, what we did find in the research is I guess we confirmed that they were discussing vaccination out of proportion to our control normal Twitter samples, but we knew that from the earlier research that Will was discussing. Um, and our big sort of finding was that they were doing this at a much la larger level uh, about climate change as well. Um, so the it was about one in every thousand tweets from this database of tweets that we found that was about climate change. And a lot of them were that sort of um, anti-climate, climate denying sort of content. And a lot of the tweets that we found had included links that went to a, a website that's now dead, but was a fake news website. So there was a lot of this, um, uh, yeah, linking off to other sites that further promoted this sort of fake science and, and disinformation around climate change. But it was a really significant number, particularly given that the campaign on the whole was politically focused, not scientifically focused. But one in every thousand tweets in a sample of three million tweets was a really quite a big number. Yeah. And I think I think we can use those numbers to start thinking about why they were doing it. So they were clearly pushing climate change content uh, way more than, than the rest of the sample. So too with vaccination. And we can see a little bit on Zika and, and Ebola, but they weren't really pushing some of the other topics. So they weren't really pushing uh, GMO or pushing uh, flat earth disbeliefs or anything like that. So what this was suggesting to us is this this wasn't really some sort of um, destabilize uh, post-truth or destabilize stabilizing knowledge sort of thing or trying to deny science. I think it was something that was much more about topics that were already polarizing in US politics. So clearly climate change and vaccination sit right in the middle of some of the big culture wars between uh, different political uh, groupings in America. And I think that the Russian troll army was using that to try and pull people apart and to try and use science to destabilize political conversation. Totally. And just sort of jumping off that as well, like climate change and vaccination are the ones that um, you really need that sort of widespread social agreement on. Otherwise, you don't get effective policies and you don't get effective, um, you know, utilisation of this science that we know in society. So it doesn't really matter if your neighbour is buying non-GMOs or they, they don't, you know, they believe in flat earthism. That sort of doesn't actually, sorry, they do believe in flat earthism. That doesn't really affect you. Um, but if your neighbour doesn't believe that climate change is happening, or, or they're not vaccinating their children that sort of stuff is the um is the uh it's the stuff that really makes you emotionally charged and and as will says polarizes people because you get that strong emotional reaction because it's it, these are these topics that need community agreement it's fascinating to think about this and this is going beyond our research here but it really says to me looking at the culture war going on in the US right now and coming a little bit in Australia on mask use in covid 
And I don't have any evidence here, but I think just when we, we think about climate change and vaccinations sitting as polarizing scientific topics in US political discourse, I think masks are too. And you could imagine if the Russia, Russia tweet um, army was working in the same way now, then they would be pushing a fight on masks because the goal is to make the fight, not to actually get any sort of resolution. So you've sort of touched on this a little bit already, but um, what do you think the sort of impacts are of spreading climate change disinformation? Because obviously, I mean, obviously, as you say, it sort of polarises people and it sort of creates this division. But do you think there are other impacts as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest things is the longer that we have this sort of notion of a debate, the longer that we, you know, make it seem that the science is still out or we're still waiting for consensus or the longer we don't have consensus, that really delays uh, policies coming into place that that help mitigate it and help sort of um, limit the effects that we will feel from climate change. And so I think that because of that, these sort of disinformation campaigns, um, even though they have, as we've sort of been saying, this more political focus, um, they really do have a, a long-term impact for us as a society as well. Um, so it's, they're really dangerous topics to be spreading disinformation about and, and having people, um, you know, get so polarised that they can't even have a reasonable conversation with each other and, and find that common and ground and that's that's the whole point of campaigns like this as well is to to stop those really good conversations happening in sort of the middle points where you've got two people that aren't so extreme learning from each other but the more you drive people to the edges the the less you get those um, productive conversations happening yeah look i i think it's it's sad really for us um in the climate change advocacy world um that Climate change is clearly, or climate change action is clearly a huge victim of uh, what's going on here. I think that uh, this campaign uh, is really run for political motives. It's run to destabilize, to get a certain outcome in the 2016 election and potentially pushing into 2020. Uh, that Those outcomes were not necessarily so much about climate change or about vaccines. They were about uh, getting distrust and getting a certain political uh, position here. And I think that we really have to fight against this sort of um, this sort of disinformation. But it clearly shows that while we live in a, a world where climate change is a hyper-partisan topic, then it's going to be vulnerable to this kind of thing. So, you know, if we're to communicate climate change, then we're going to have to find ways to depolarize what's going on here. Yeah, I think one of the um, the things that I really took from doing this research is that these weren't you know, these weren't science topics that were being targeted to undermine the science. They were just being sort of the byproduct of this political, um, this political attack. And, and, th but that doesn't make them any less dangerous. It's still um, really concerning to see the sort of stuff that, um, that people are talking about. And as Will says, the, the, the crazy partisan nature of topics that really shouldn't be political at all. It, it does say something wider about social media as well that uh that uh social media thrives on heat it thrives on on the fight and on strong disagreement and hyper polarization and you know i know that social media companies have been attempting to do something about that in the last little while but as we polarize here further and further apart we're not finding those common grounds in the middle where we can actually sensibly solve big key policy issues like climate change 
So as science communicators, what do you think the best way uh, of managing this sort of disinformation is? Do you think it should be sort of deleted and blocked or do you think actively engaging with it and sort of refuting it is, is the best way to handle it? Yeah, it's a really good question and it's I think it's one that comes up about any sort of, you know, troll activity is are you meant to sort of engage with it and provide your great arguments against it? But as Will was just saying, social media really is, um, you know, dr- driven by engagement and driven by um by controversy as well and you see that in like trending topics and then counter trends happening and um, I think with this kind of thing uh, particularly if it's a troll you're never going to get them on side that's they're, they're you know often actually just there to be polarizing or like be against you um, and the more you engage with it the more it pumps it into other people's feeds so I, I try not to um, engage if, if there's no you know if they aren't there as a genuine party who want to have a conversation. Otherwise, you're sort of um, fueling the machine. But Will might have some other thoughts on this as well. well. I think it's fascinating. I mean, you know, what do we do? What do we do about this? I think first thing we should do is is split apart two different um, forms of action here. One is misinformation, where people uh, may be ill informed about a particular topic, but they're um, they're heart at least may be in the right position. And there are clearly people on uh, climate change, for example, who uh, are misinformed, uh, don't quite understand what is happening in the world of climate change, uh, but they do want good outcomes. They're not not, um, malicious people. And if they're authentically tweeting about climate change or something like that, then I think it is a it is a good service that we do that we should engage with people and listen to people and attempt to have conversations with people. However, I think that's vastly different from uh, a weaponized state actor running a factory of uh, trolls sending out disinformation, which is deliberately disingenuous and is inauthentic and and pretending to be someone else. I got no problem with someone being who they are online and getting it wrong. And, you know, mostly that doesn't matter and we can and we can help. But being inauthentic in a factory sense and pumping out content to make people more polarized, I think that's incredibly dangerous. Now, that's not the job of us as individual users on social media to try and police. I think that's the job of the social media giants, the platforms here to say, look, uh, weaponized, inauthentic uh, content, which is clearly strategic. You know, you've got a thousand people sitting there just retweeting each other. That for the for the social media platforms that makes their platforms far worse but for us looking at um, policy making in society and the politics of society we really need to have our social media platforms stepping in and saying no we don't do that you can be one individual user getting it right or wrong that's a free speech issue but a thousand users systematically being fake that's not a free speech issue that's uh that's a political and policy issue that we need to step up and deal with yeah, and we saw that with these tweets as well. Like Twitter did eventually identify these accounts and take them down and remove all the tweets. But by that point, it was 2017 and they'd been active for four years and um, and Donald Trump was president. So um, it is really something that needs to be tackled at that sort of organisational level by the people that have the ability to do so. Uh, but it's a tricky thing. It's been a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining me today, Indy and Will. Thank you so much for having us. It's been great. Thank you, Lemis. And thank you for listening to the Climate Update podcast. To stay tuned for our next episode, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform, like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ANU Climate, 
or you can check out our website and subscribe to our newsletter at www.climate.anu.edu.au.